Let's pray. Father, uh, we just thank you. God, I thank you for, uh, that God, that you've given us people who can lead us in, in music, where we can lift up our hearts and we can worship you, we can come before you. And, and Lord, now we wanna just keep that attitude, that same heart and same direction as we get into your word. And I pray that you would just, Lord, open up every one of us to receive what you have for us. I know we're coming from a lot of different places and, and again, I, I often pray that some of us are doing really, really good and some of us, man, life is just beating us up and, and we're feeling horrible right now and I know, Holy Spirit, no matter where we're at, that you can make your word alive for that situation and, and those circumstances. So I pray you would do that. And especially as we look at and continue this whole idea of, of resting in you, that, that Lord, it would come alive for some of us. Some of us desperately need that. So make it come alive in our hearts and we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Hey, as, uh, as I prayed, and if you were here last week, we began that whole uh, thought on rest and, and what that's all about. Now, a couple things I kind of want to make us think about is just because some do not uh, uh, take advantage of that or appropriate that in their life doesn't mean God's promises are not true. Doesn't mean he doesn't fulfill his promises. The nation of Israel chose not to enter in and enter into his rest. That was their choice. Did not negate God's promise one, one bit. And here's the way I think of this. Every generation has an opportunity either enter his rest or not. The decision is ours. And we need to understand that. And, and again, if you don't appropriate it, doesn't mean that, hey, his promises are not valid for today. They're just as valid today as they were, you know, for the nation of Israel, as they were, you know, and, and we can go all the way back. Now, something I want us to think about, think about, and this is kind of fun, think about Adam and Eve when they were created. They had it made. Do you understand how cool that was? They walked and talked with God just as naturally as they walked and talked with each other. They didn't have any anxiety. They didn't have any hurt. They didn't have any pain. They didn't have, you know, stuff coming at them. They didn't have to, they didn't even have to ask for forgiveness of sin because they didn't sin. How good was that? And, you know, whenever I think about that and I just meditate on that, I think, why on earth did you eat the, the apple, we always like to say, right? Why did you eat the fruit? What, what, what would make you? you trade all that you had for nothing, right? For turmoil and trouble and pain. So when we think about that, so I like to think of it this way. You and I have the opportunity to go back and have and enjoy what Adam and Eve had in the garden. All we have to do is believe God. All we have to do is trust him, and that's what this is all about. So, so kind of put it in that direction, think of it that way, and apply it to us. So in verse 1, he says, therefore, so once again, drawing a conclusion, right? Talking about that rest, kind of explaining it, but he's still not done. Here's what I think the author of Hebrews was doing. He wrote chapter 3, and I think he got to the end, and he thought, well, that was good, and then he went... They're still not getting it. You know, sometimes when I'm teaching, I look out there and I go, they're just not getting it. And, you know, so then we go 20 minutes long. No, but, but hey, I mean, you just kind of know whether somebody, and I think he's thinking, 
It's not clear yet. So he continues on and he says, therefore, because of what I've said, since the promise remains of entering his rest, let us fear lest any of you seem to have come short of it. So here's what's what's going on. He says, hey, since the promise remains, here's what he's thinking. Some of us get to the place where we think God's promise isn't for me. He says, no, the promise is still there. Just because, again, just because people reject it doesn't do away with God's promise. And I think that's so important for us to understand. You know, sometimes I witness to people and they'll tell me, I don't believe that about God. And I'll tell them, that's fine. That's your prerogative. But it doesn't change who God is. Doesn't take away from him. Doesn't do anything. It's just hard on you. So the same thing. Since his promise remains, and I think the author is trying to get that group of people to understand his promise is still valid today, right now. Now remember, and I like to bring this up, these guys are struggling, man. This church is having a difficult time. I think, I think so often we, we kind of fantasize like the first century church, everybody wore robes, well maybe they did, but, and everybody had halos, and they were all real holy, and everything was you know perfect. I even hear people say, if I could just be part of a first century church. Have you read the letters? Like the church was no different than us. They're struggling because we're all doing life and we've got to walk through this life and we've got flesh and we've got things coming at us whether you're in the first century or the 21st century, doesn't matter. So listen, these guys are struggling and they're struggling maybe a little bit more so because remember they're Jews who were saved and they're having a hard time letting go of Judaism and getting out of that. So he says, listen, just because all of those guys didn't enter in, we talked about Israel going to Canaan, he says his promise still remains. And then he says this, he, he says, let us fear lest any of you seem to come short of it. Do you know what that tells me? Here's what that tells me. I have a pretty good chance of coming short of it. Otherwise, God wouldn't say, hey, you need to, and and it's pretty specific here. It's not like you need to be, you know, worried about. You you need to be fearful that you're going to come short of it. You need to be somebody who it kind of, you know what? Man, it kind of makes your gut grind that you're not going, that you're not going to appropriate that. Now, again, we're not talking about works. We're just talking about using faith. Look what he says then in verse 2. Let's, let's get to that, and I think that'll kind of help. He says, for, indeed, the gospel was preached to us as well as to them, but the word which they heard did not profit them not being mixed with faith in those who heard it. So, number one, I want to clarify something. When when he's talking about gospel, he's not talking about, you know, often we hear that word gospel, right? And you hear that and you think of the gospel. We share the gospel with people. He's not necessarily meaning that. It's the good news. And, and, you know, good news could be different pre-Jesus than it could be after Jesus, but it was still good news. So he's letting them know. Remember, they look forward, we look back. So here's what he's saying. He's saying they got good news just like you and I get good news. But just hearing it or reading it or even this, even believing it's true doesn't help unless, and I love the way he puts it, you mix it with faith. 
You got to get some faith in that blender, right? You get the gospel in the blender, you get a little faith in the blender, and now listen, now here's what you have, rest. Because you're believing God, you're putting faith in what God said, and you're trusting him, and I think that's important. Remember, uh, if you've been here on Thursday nights in Ephesians, remember the whole thing is about faith. It says, for it is by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not a gift of yourself, it's a gift of God, not by works, so that no one can boast, for we are God's workmanship created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. Grace is the source of our salvation. Always, it's always grace. But if you don't have faith, grace doesn't do any good. You gotta believe and trust. And so that's what he's saying here. These guys, listen, they got the good news, but they didn't, I like that idea. They didn't mix it with faith. They didn't get in there and get the faith. So it didn't do them any good for, and then he goes back to speaking about us in verse three. For we who have believed do enter that rest. As he said, I swore in my wrath, they shall not enter my rest, although the works were finished from the foundation of the world. So here's what he's saying. If you believe, you enter that rest. Those who don't believe, they don't enter the rest, even though, even though the work is done, even though the work is complete, believing or not believing, I think is an important thing. Doesn't change the truth that the work is done. So he's trying to get that across, because again, I think some of them are struggling, some of them are thinking, man, maybe I need to go back to Judaism, maybe I need to start practicing animal sacrifices again, getting back into that. And he's like, come on, he's saying, come on guys, think about this. Do you really wanna relate to God through works and trying to appease him? Or do you wanna trust him? And do you wanna have that rest with him? The choice is yours, so here's the thing. What are you gonna do? How are you gonna do this? And he's laid it out, and he's kinda let them know. And he's laid it out for us. What are we gonna do? Do you really wanna rest? By the way, I know last week I kinda defined it. This rest we're talking about isn't like, you know, and last week I used the example, like on Sunday mornings I do two services. When I go home, I'm tired. I change clothes, put on comfortable clothes, get in the easy chair, put my feet up and go, oh, I'm resting. He's not talking about that kind of rest. He's talking about the rest that we understand there is nothing we can do to add to our salvation. We're trusting God. And I believe, I believe for, at least culturally speaking, I believe in our culture, in America, it's hard for us to completely trust the Lord in salvation. Some of us were raised in a home where we had to earn validation from our parents. We had to work at it and strive at it. and They never just offered it, we had to do that. And we bring that baggage into our relationship with God and we think we've gotta earn validation from God. Do you know something this morning? God loves you right now as much as he's ever gonna love you. There's nothing you can do to make him love you more. If you're saved today, you're completely saved. You don't have to earn something from God. You don't have to try and tell him. Now listen, I know I read Ephesians and we have works to do, but that, listen, that's because we are saved not to get saved or stay saved. It's because of who we are. It's kind of like, you know, dogs bark, right? Cats meow. Like, 
That's, why do they do that? Because that's what they are. They do what they are, and so if you're saved, you're gonna have those things come about. So we're not talking about, and I wanna make sure, we're not talking when we're talking about resting, we're not talking about becoming complacent. We'll, we'll wrap it up at the end and make sure you understand that. So it's not that, it's trusting him. Well, look what he says. Look at the next couple verses here. In verse four, he says, for he has spoken in a certain place of the seventh day in this way. And God rested on the seventh day from all of his works. And again, in this place, they shall not enter my rest. So he's quoting a couple different places. Now, here's what I like, and I brought this up with the author of Hebrews. I kind of like what the author of Hebrews does. Have you noticed all through this from chapter one till now, do you notice he never gives a scripture reference? He always says, well, it's written in a certain place. Now, I believe he knew that he was quoting Genesis chapter two. Come on, he's a Jew. He's got it together. He's writing to Jews. They knew, but he never does that. Why? Because listen, addresses aren't that important. And even, I'm not sure they had it all broke down to chapters when he was writing. I don't think they did. Remember, chapters and verses came along later. They came along for us so we could refer to them. They're not, they're not the verses, and we're gonna look at one at the end of this. Verses are not ordained of God, and it's not you know, supposed to be specifically broken down like that. Verses are so you and I can find and reference together and get together. So I just like the way he does that. So having said that, though, man, I love this. He goes back to creation. And here's the thing, I challenge you today, sometime, stop and read Genesis chapter one and the first part of Genesis chapter two. And here's something you gotta notice because here's what blows, this blows my mind and bums me out. A lot of people use this section in Hebrews to teach that you and I need to keep the Sabbath, that we need to be Sabbatarians. And I gotta tell you something, they take something that God says you're not supposed to do and tell you you have to do it, and they twist and massage scripture and make it say something. It's not, but some of the cults, some of the, the, the you know, Christians that get all legalistic and, man, you gotta worship on the seventh day. You know, it's all about the Sabbath, and they do that. So having said that, read Genesis chapter one and Genesis chapter two, and I'll, I'll tell you what I want you to look for. All through each day, what does it say each day? There was evening and morning the first day. Evening and morning the second day. Evening and morning, so I'm not gonna go through the whole thing, right? Until he gets to the seventh day. Doesn't say that. Never mentions evening and morning, so here's what that's telling me. He's not talking about a 24-hour period, which is the, you know, kind of me, the bummer of those who wanna put the seventh day on us, yet he does have the seventh day. But when God rested, listen carefully, it wasn't like God got done, went and got his, changed his clothes, got in his easy chair, and went, oh, it's done. When God rested, here's what he did. He quit creating. It was done. It was finished. It was complete. We might use all of those terms and listen carefully, he didn't just quit for one day, he quit from that day for all of eternity. That's what's important to realize. So when these people talk about, well, you gotta keep this day, you know, I always tell them, really, really? You gotta worship on Saturday, huh? Yeah, 
And I go, well, you know what? I worship on Saturday, Sunday, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday. Every day is a day of, quote, rest, right? So listen, man, he's, number one, he's letting us know that. So he's letting us know that when God was done, and here's what I think is important. When God was done, we might even say it this way. When God finished on the seventh day, here's what he said. It is finished. Sound familiar? Didn't someone later on on the cross say the same exact words? It is finished. We might even say, Jesus said, I'm going to rest. Why? The work of salvation was completed. We don't do anything to add to it. When we get these two things and we kind of get them in our hearts, here's what we realize. Wow. I can trust God for my salvation. I can believe him. I can rest in that knowing there's nothing I have to do. There's nothing I have to complete. Hey, when, when you know, and I think a lot of us, when we, when we first get saved, we're excited about, I hope. And I, I think we continue, but man, you know, those first couple years, we're real dorks in Christ. Right, man, we say the dumbest things, we do the dumbest things, and you know, and some of us we're still shedding the world and it's still on us, and some of us we some of us we get so legalistic we think we're you know, some people go buy sandals and robes and they, they do that, man, or they're like in all this stuff. So you do you do some crazy things. I love the idea of new believers because they make messes. And some of them make big messes. And it's kind of fun. And here's what I enjoy the most. When mature believers get close to a new believer, and I'm talking about the mature believers that are just like, I'm mature. And they get close to them. And this, this new believer does something, and it absolutely freaks them out. And they're like, oh. One time, years ago, one of my favorites, years ago, we had a guy, we had a guy that got saved, and he was, he was, he was a big guy. He's a biker. He had ink everywhere. And uh, it, one of the things that was funny, this is another story. One of the things that was funny is he had a silhouette of a lady on his arm that was not appropriate for church. And one time he's in church. I'll get back to the other. He's in church one time and he's like, he's like sitting there and he's got his Bible and stuff. And he just feels like someone's staring at him and he looks over and here's this kid that's like, you know, junior high age like this. <laughs> so he takes his Bible and slides it over her you know, and kind of covers her up. From then on, he wore long sleeves. So we were going to take up a collection. Him and another guy both had. We were going to take up a collection, get their ladies dressed so they could come to church. But, but anyway, this guy, this guy when, he, when he first got saved, man, he was great. And he had, you know, he had, he had a tons of junk, obviously, that he's packing with him. And I'll never forget, we're having a conversation. There's a whole group of believers. And I don't know what we were talking about. But all of a sudden, one word came out of his mouth that freaked him out. And it was this, that's karma. And like all the believers went, <gasps> he said karma. And I'm thinking, what is the matter with you? It's okay, we can explain things to them. But see, so we have that. And, and listen, man, I think here he's letting us know, man, as we look at this, it's not about, listen, it's not about keeping certain days. It's not about, you know, becoming that religious person and here's what I do. And it's, listen, it's about the fact that just as God, when he finished creation, he quit creating. When Jesus finished the cross and finished salvation, there's nothing we add to it, period. 
period. We trust that and, and we know that that's, that's true. Listen to, what, listen to what Paul will write in Colossians. We're going to study that later on uh, on Thursday nights. But listen to what he says. So let no one judge you in food or drink. Remember that, right? Or regarding festival or new moon or the Sabbaths. The Sabbaths, right? Don't let people judge you on that. And then he says, which are a shadow of the things to come, but the substance is of Christ. Everything's about Jesus. And why could Jesus violate, according to the law, the Sabbath? Because the Sabbath was about him. He could do that because it was all about him. He was changing that and he was bringing rest to everybody. So then listen, then he says, God rested on the seventh day and that's where they get it. There's a certain denominations we won't name that uses the seventh day in their name, right? Seventh day Adventist, so, so, sorry, <laughs> so. Hey, but they get it from, and they take this and they like manipulate it and it's not talking about that. Once again, not a 24-hour period. So, you know, whenever people do that, I think, so if we're gonna really celebrate the Sabbath, it needs to start here, start the day you get saved, and end when eternity ends, which is never. I'm gonna rest in Jesus, period. And I'm not gonna do it on a certain day. So, he says that, then he does quote again, and he says, and again, in this place, talking about Psalm 95 in verse 5, they shall not enter my rest. Once again, those who don't believe, listen carefully. If you don't believe, you're not going to enter that rest. And you're going to be somebody who's frustrated. I feel the sorriest for people who come to church, and some of you are here today. You're not a believer. And you're coming and you're enduring. Here's what I think. It's got a stink sitting through a service, not knowing Jesus. Now, I went to church not knowing Jesus, but I went to a very ritualistic church, so at least there was some ritualism going on that you could kind of look at and go, well, that's interesting, and, and I was an altar boy and all those things. I was in the, the Serbian Orthodox Church, so, you know, we kind of did that. But, man, I can't imagine sitting through one of these services. Well, I've had some people who are not believers, and some of them come up and they tell me, you are long-winded. And I go, thank you. God bless you, too. But you gotta be miserable, why? Here's why you're miserable. Because you haven't entered the rest. And your life is in a turmoil, and you know your life is in a turmoil. And the little, little things, little nuances, man, they bug you so bad, you go, man. Because you're not entering his rest. And you're not that place. Now here's the bad thing, when we, as believers, get in the flesh, that same thing happens to us. And then God has to say, you're in the flesh. That's why you're so put out right now. But listen, wouldn't you rather have a life of rest than a life of turmoil and chaos and difficult? Now, here's what I know. All those little nuances, those little things that just bug us really bad, they don't go away because you're in Christ. They're still there. But they're different because you're trusting him. So he says to some, they're not going to enter my rest. Then verse 6, he says, since therefore it remains that some must enter it, and those to whom it was first preached did not enter because of disobedience, again he designates a certain day, saying to David, today, after such a long time, as it has been said, 
Today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts. Now, here's what I find interesting. From chapter three to this place in chapter four. Three times he quotes that exact verse from Psalm 95. Three times. Today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts. You know what that speaks to my heart? It tells me this. I am really in danger of hardening my heart. When God repeats something, you know it's important, right? Like when he calls some people, Samuel, Samuel, Abraham, Abraham. That's important, but think about this. Three times he repeats the same verse. It's gotta mean something to you and I, and at the end of this, we'll get to it. But you listen, this is telling me I am really in danger of hardening my heart. And I'm in danger of hardening, hardening my heart the most when we're in fellowship and studying his word. Why do I say that? What does he say? Today, if you hear his voice, here's what I know for sure. If you're in here and your ears are working, you're hearing his voice because I'm reading the word of God to you. If you hear his voice today, do not harden your heart. Man, that is powerful to me. Here's what that tells me. When I get up in the morning and I do my quiet time, today, if I hear his voice, do not listen to what's going on. Guard your heart. Watch out. So there's that. And then, and then Paul in 2 Corinthians, he puts it this way. He says, for he says in an acceptable time, I have heard you and in the day of salvation, I have helped you. Behold, now is the acceptable time. Listen carefully. Behold, now is the day of salvation. If you're here today and you're not saved, today is the day. You better, you need to make a choice. Today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts. That's a heavy, heavy message, I think, that we need to understand. Again, all of us are capable of doing that. That's something that's, that's in all of us. And, you know, I know some of you are sitting there, well, not me. Watch out. Somewhere in the Bible it says, notice the Hebrews kind of connotation, Somewhere it says, pride goes before destruction and a haughty spirit before a great fall. Be careful. Be careful if you're sitting there today saying, I'm not gonna harden my heart. It's probably too late because it's probably pretty hard already. So man, there's the warning. So again, he warns us now. He's gonna go a little bit further. In verse eight, he tells us, for if Joshua had given them rest, then he would not afterward have spoken of another day. So here's, now, now listen, if you're a King James person, I think it's only the King James that does this. It, it, the King James especially does this. It says, for if Jesus had given them rest, and some people go, Pfft. remember something very important. Joshua is Jesus in Hebrew. Okay, so if, I mean, Technically, it's Yeshua, and Yeshua, son of Nun, was the one that we think of as Joshua, and Jesus, 
of Nazareth is Yeshua of Nazareth. So same word. So, so all they're doing is they're just using that. This is Joshua, Joshua, meaning Joshua who led him into the promised land, right? But here's an interesting point he makes. He listen. He says, if Joshua had given them rest, then he would not afterwards have spoken of another day. Now, it's not Joshua speaking of another day. It's David, in Psalm 95, thousands of years after Joshua, David says, there's another day. And then even for us, and we talked about that when we first started this whole teaching and rest, hey, in Joshua's day, they missed it. David spoke it, they missed it. Now we have the opportunity. Every generation can either enter the rest or not. And the choice is theirs. Once again, doesn't do anything to the promise. So he's just letting those Jews know if everything, hey, what would have happened if they all would have gone into, into the Canaan and, and settled it and followed and, you know, they wouldn't have backed out that day? I would, you know, it would be, it's fun to imagine. It's fun to, like, make believe we know. But they didn't. So he's letting us know they didn't do it. If they would have, Joshua wouldn't know, or David wouldn't have written later on. There, in verse 9 then, there remains, therefore, a rest for the people of God. Because that promise was not fulfilled, there still remains a rest for us, and we either believe that or not. For he who has entered his rest has himself, listen carefully, also ceased from the works as God did from his. Now we're back to that thing. What did God do on the seventh day? He quit creating. It was done. God's work of creation was done. Doesn't mean God doesn't do anything else. It means, listen, I, I look at it this way. It's not like the God did the Rocky Mountains and went, wow, man, I kind of messed those up. I think I, I think I need to work on them a little bit. I need to fix them up a little bit. Listen, here's, he quit. He stopped. And so when you enter God's rest, when you really enter, and I love this idea of his rest, it's not something you have, it's something you believe, and it's something you trust. You quit trying to earn salvation. You quit trying to be that person who's trying to appease God and win him on your side. And again, I know, for a lot of us, that's hard because we were in homes or we were in circumstances. Man, I worked for a guy that you could work and work and work and make something and you just like, and, and you always wanted him to validate what you did because he was kind of at the top of the food chain and you would do it and do it and do it and, and then you would show it to him and he goes, well, I would have done this. No validation. And sometimes we carry that in. Listen, we carry that in and we're coming to Jesus and we're going, look, I worked so hard on this. And I think God says, well, that's nice. But why aren't you resting? Why don't you trust me? Why don't you believe I could do this? Now, I know he's gonna say, well done, good and faithful servant or not. That's a whole different picture. And you and I need to know, man, we don't need to earn validation from God. He saved us. If he sent his son to die for our sins while we were yet sinners, come on. You think he's gonna be impressed when you go, well, look what I brought. No, and so we need to know that. And didn't Jesus say, didn't Jesus say something interesting in Matthew? Remember in Matthew 11, 28, 29, come to me, all you who are heavy laden, and all of you who are burdened and weary and, and I'm gonna give you rest. 
Here's what I like. Some people do it this. They, they divide that up. That's verse 28. And they divide that up like that's salvation. And then they do 29 is sanctification. And he says this, take my yoke upon you and learn from me for I am gentle and humble in heart and you will find rest for your souls. There's that word again. So we need to, listen, if you do anything, if you do anything spiritually in the church, you need to know it's because you're yoked up with Jesus, not because you've done something. And you have that rest, you have that peace. Are, are you kind of getting the idea? So I think, listen, I think this is extremely exciting as I read this. Now, it's really good. Now, the bummer part is, in my Bible, there's another heading and a big break between 10 and 11. 10 and 11 need to get mushed together. It bothers me when they do that, right? So here's what he says, man. He says, listen, for he who has entered his rest, in verse 10, has himself ceased from his works as God did from his. Let us therefore be diligent to enter that rest. Listen to what he says. We need to be diligent. Why? Because if I'm not diligent, and we're back to that thing, if I'm not diligent, all of a sudden I'm going to be trying to please God with the things I do. I'm going to... and. and I'm going to be thinking, man, I'm earning something, and it's going to make me, and here's, and this is going to validate my Christianity. You know what validates your Christianity? The blood of Jesus Christ. That validates your Christianity. And so he says, listen, you got to be diligent. You got to be careful. I remember when I first got saved, and this is what I pray every new believer. I know when I first got saved, like, and I've shared before, I woke up the next morning and I had a thirst and a hunger for God's word. But you know what else I had? I had this nagging in my head over and over and over. It's all fake. Someone's tricking you. Don't believe it. Don't believe it. They're just trying to get you. You gotta walk away from that. Really, you really gonna believe that Jesus' blood covers you? And you have that and you gotta fight that, man. You gotta be diligent or you're gonna cave to that pressure. And I believe, listen, I believe the battle for the new believer mostly is in the mind. And that's going on. And, and, you know, and here's what else I know. This is where Satan is going to attack us. Why? Especially in America. Because this is where we're the weakest. We're weak here. I've shared before, Satan's not going to tempt you for something you're never going to do. Right? He's not, it's like, it's like when I walk in the bank, I don't have to pray really hard that I won't rob the bank. Like I don't go in going, oh Lord, don't let me rob this bank. Please, please keep me from rob. I mean, you know, so because I'm not tempted. Now some people do. I think some people go in, they have to pray that. But he gets us, listen, he gets us where we're weak. And I think one of the weakest places, culturally speaking, is in this whole area of trying to appease God. When we come to the place and we start resting in him, do you know what that does to elevate your relationship? And you come to that place where you're going, wow, wow. Now, listen, now I am free to do what God has called me to do. I don't have to do it, I'm free to do it. And you get in that place and, and man, that is so liberating. So he says, let us be diligent lest the end of that verse, lest anyone fall according to the same example of disobedience. So there are gonna be those who are gonna come along and here's what they're gonna tell you. 
You need to worship on the seventh day. Hmm? Don't eat pork. I hate it when people say that. Don't, and they have the list of don'ts and the list of do's. And you have to do this, you have to do this, you have to do this. To really be holy, you gotta do this. To really achieve, you gotta do this. And he says, that is falling into the place of, let's, let's say it this way, instead of disobedience, because I think a lot of us think, well, I, you know, I'm not blatantly disobedient to God. How about if we put it this way? Lest anyone, according to the same example of disbelief, the children of Israel got to that border and it wasn't so much that they were disobedient, they didn't believe God when he said, I'm gonna give you that land and it's flowing with milk and honey, but the main, the main crux of that is I'm gonna give you that land. And remember the guys come back, no, it's bad, it's this, it's that. Do you ever have anybody come in your life as a believer, so to speak, and they're coming and going, really, you do that? How about this? You go to Calvary Chapel? Where do you go to that church? You should go to my church. It always bothers me when someone says, my church. Here's what I want to say. Well, I want to go to the church that Jesus owns. I don't really want to go to your church. Now I know what they're saying. But, and we get attacked. Listen, we get attacked every which way. If it's not just our mind, it's people around us. It's YouTube. It's, you know, social media, whatever thing. You know, I was thinking the other day, you know, you guys have heard me say that social distancing is an oxymoron, that, you know, you can't social and distance at the same time. So, but you know what? You know what? Yesterday I was talking to Gaynell and I came to this conclusion. Social media is an oxymoron because you're not really socialing. You think you are and you think you're doing this stuff. So anyway, sorry, that was my rant. Well, Facebook is blocking our bulletins, so I'm anti-Facebook right now. Like, you block our bulletins? Seriously, we don't put anything in our bulletin that deserves to be blocked from a public forum. So anyway, so, uh, so that's my rant. So back to this. I'm trying to earn favor with God. No, I'm kidding. So. Don't try. Don't stop working. Here's what he's saying. Stop working for your salvation and trust God. Now, again, I know I'm speaking mostly to believers, and I get that. But we try and finish up what Jesus started. The best way we can finish is resting in him. And again, that doesn't mean cessation from everything. God didn't cease doing everything, did he? Two of you nodded, thank you. The rest of you are not sure. He's still working in our world, right? He's still working his plan. He's still busy. He ceased from creation. So here's what this is telling. We need to cease from trying to get saved or stay saved, but that doesn't mean we don't serve him or we don't do things for him. It means we cease and we rest and trust in what he said. I like that idea. And you know what? Nothing has been more freeing for me in my walk with God than that. Coming to the place where I can say, okay, you got this, Jesus. You know the saying, Jesus is my co-pilot? That stinks. Number one, you just placed yourself in a better seat. So, 
Like Jesus is not my co-pilot, Jesus is my pilot, right? Or when people tell me Jesus is a crutch, I go, no way, man. He's the gurney, ambulance, he's everything. He's not a crutch. You know, I need him. So I desperately need him. And maybe I think when we come to the place where we realize that we truly need the blood of Jesus to be saved, I think that's when we truly start trusting. But when we think we're okay, I'm okay, you're okay, and we kind of are in that place, we start working and trying to earn it. You're a sinner. You have offended a holy God. You deserve nothing but his eternal wrath. You trust Jesus, that's gone. And that's what we need to believe. Let's stand up and pray. Father, I thank you. I thank you for your word and I thank you for the challenge that we have here today as we, as we just look at this. And, and Lord, I know I know for some of us, it's kind of a struggle to go through and, and look at and talk about. And some of us, we're, we're still in that place where we want to have something to do with what's going on in what we call our life and our salvation. And I pray right now, for those who are still struggling, God, I pray that your peace would come upon them and they would surrender and they would come to that place where they go, God, I am going to trust you. And Lord, I pray if they have to do it 500 times, that they do it 500 times and that they learn that they can trust you. We talk about that word rest. It can be trust. It can be believe. It can be putting faith in. All of that, that we would get to that place. And Lord, most of all, that you would be exalted and glorified. And I'm gonna ask everyone stay in an attitude of prayer and if you are here today, and, and I know there's some here, and you've never trusted Jesus Christ as your Savior, as we said, today is a day of salvation. Right now, right this moment, you need to trust him. And the way you do that is by, number one, you have to come to the place where you can admit to God that you know you're a sinner. When we talk about confession, we're not telling you to tell God so he knows, he already knows. But the Lord wants you to know, know he, that you know you're a sinner and you come to that place. So that's confessing, yes, God, I'm a sinner. Then it's kind of simple. You need to be sorry for your sin. Then you need to ask him to forgive you based on what Jesus Christ has done on the cross. And as I referenced earlier, the wages of sin is death. You deserve the eternal wrath of God. Jesus on the cross took all of that upon himself. And when he cried out, it is finished, he meant your salvation is done. Trust me. So today you can either put your trust in him or not. And you can either rest in him and come to that place or not. So I'm going to lead you in a prayer. Kind of put words in your mouth, so to speak. I'm going to lead you in a prayer. You can say this prayer out loud. You can say it silently. Volume doesn't matter. What matters is your heart. You need to be sincere. So we just want to encourage you. If you're, if you're uh, backslidden, we want to encourage you. Come home. Come back to Jesus. His arms are open wide for you. If you're watching online, you can say this prayer right there in your home, right where you're at. But the most important thing, it needs to be sincere. Jesus, today, I confess that I am a sinner. I'm sorry that I sinned against you. And today, I'm asking you to forgive me.
Jesus, thank you for dying for my sin. Thank you here this morning for your forgiveness. And right now, I want you to come into my heart and Lord, change me. I want you to come into my life and guide me. Today, I'm asking you to be my Lord and my Savior.